Judges 3.31 After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anoth, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. So that's it for Shamgar. We're done. No more scripture for today. Seriously, this is about it for Shamgar. We can read some into this account, but enough to chat for about two to five minutes. Unless you want to stay online to hear what could have been. We do know that Shamgar was a hard worker. He worked with his oxen, and an ox goad was used to herd oxen. He was probably fairly wealthy to have oxen, and he was a hard-working man. We know he lived during the time of Deborah because in the Song of Deborah, it mentions this occurred during the time of Shamgar. Josephus said he judged Israel for one year between Ehud and Deborah. The name Shamgar means sword. His father's name, Anath, means answer. And we know that the Philistines were making their emergence into history in the swath of territory between modern-day Gaza and Tel Aviv. So Shamgar probably lived on the borderlands between the two lands of Israel and the Philistines. In understanding the territory and the meaning of the names involved, one could conclude Shamgar was a hard worker who stood in the gap between Israel and the Philistines and defended his homeland with all that was in his hand, an ox goad. And being an answer to prayer, he used his ox goad, which is a long stick with a point at one end, like a spear, and fought off an entire army of Philistines, killing 600 of them. Alright, so that's about all we can come up with with Shamgar from a studious perspective, unless you want to hear more. If you do, we're going to have a little fun with this episode. Being close to around the one-year anniversary of the podcast, call this my indulgence. And what continues is a dramatization completely created for the sake of the podcast to show what could have been. So here's a disclaimer. If you're a purist and if you only want to hear history or the biblical study only, might as well you know, tune out for this episode, and the next for this episode is a pure dramatization completely created to show what could have been. So before we continue, I would love to hear from the audience related to this show. What do you think of it? Um, Did you like the approach? Was it engaging? Did it make you think differently? Let me know. Shoot me an email, long or short, even if it's, hey, Brett, I like what you did, or say, stick to the history and Or you should do more of this. Or seriously, where do you come up with this stuff? Whatever, just let me know. I'd like to hear from you. Email is messagedokings at gmail.com. All right, so here we go. Shamgar's our lead character. Abahimelech is a Philistine warlord. Jabin is the king of Hazor, and his general is Sisera. A young Deborah and Barak are emerging as leaders in Israel, And they are the only leaders who survived the initial attack of Jabin and Sisera in northern Israel. Sisera and Jabin have invaded northern Israel. Jabin will go on to conquer all of northern Israel. In giving context, he's defeated the armies of Israel and they're retreating and hoping to make it across the Kishon River south of the Jezreel Valley. Deborah and Barak are leading the Israelites in a retreat while Jabin and Sisera want to capture Israel whole and destroy them. He calls upon his ally, Abahimelech, of the Philistines to cut off Israel at the town of Enoth. 
which is a town created for and destroyed during this podcast, on the Kishon River and prevent the crossing of the Kishon River by the Israelites. But what Sisera and Abahimelech don't count on was the power of God and one man, a simple man who worked in the fields, who became possessed by the living God. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. This is the Message to King podcast. Episode 46, Shamgar and the 600 Philistines, part 1. Deborah stood on the old wooden bridge leading across the Kishon River to the town of Enoth. All of her nation was passing over the bridge to the refuge of Enoth in southern Israel. She waited at the edge of the waters, encouraging everyone to advance across the bridge. She smiled as the small children were carried across and as the older people and wounded were carried, and encouraged others and helped as much as she could. She watched as the last of Israel, an old, old man with a gentle smile and cane, cross over the bridge. Then Barak came up to her, carrying a torch, and said, All of Israel is accounted for. We have lost no one. He held her hand as they walked across the bridge and turned. And as out of nowhere, the iron chariots of Jabin's army stormed into view. Hundreds of them and thousands of soldiers emerged from the hills running at them. As they ran at the bridge, Barak threw the torch upon the oiled bridge, which exploded in flames, halting and creating a barrier between Israel and Jabin's furious army. Deborah rose out of bed immediately awake. She got up and emerged from her tent. A scribe and servant followed quickly as she walked out onto the windswept mountaintop. Silent for a few moments, her jet black hair blowing in the wind, Ignoring the morning dawn rising in the west, catching up on her thoughts, she opened her mouth. God has spoken. And immediately she dictated the entire dream. The scribe did all he could to keep up. She looked at her servant, send this message to Barak. God has spoken, and with all haste all of Israel shall escape via Enoth across the Kishon River. None will be lost. The scribe quickly ran off, and the servant with her. Deborah was alone. She prayed out to God, Thank you for speaking to me, Lord. And I understand now that we shall be free from Sisera and Jabin. And I trust, another day, we will find our full deliverance. She said this in true confidence. Then she felt that pain from before, the pain from the previous day, the same one that echoed the sadness of the disobedience of Israel. She remembered the dead on the battlefield. Such a waste, she thought, seeing the images of thousands who died on her watch. If they only listened to God's warnings, if they only feared Him and didn't go out to battle against the one who was empowered to have authority over them because of their disobedience. The thoughts echoed in her mind. If they would have repented, 
we would not have lost so many and so many leaders. The morning dawn light covered the Jezreel Valley, revealing Jabin's massive army and his chariot corps. King Jabin was wearing his crown and his purple robe while he rode his chariot, flushed with victory over the Israelites and filled with his own glory, riding with Sisera in his large chariot. Sisera, we shall not stop here. We shall destroy all of Israel's armies, take all of the army and close in on them. But I fear they are getting away. Call upon our friend Abahimelech of the Philistines. Send him part of the captured silver and tell him there is more if he takes the city of Enoth on the Kishon River. It is there that we shall stop all of Israel and destroy them. Sisera sent the message immediately and a rider to Abahimelech. Abahimelech was ten miles west of Enoth with an army of three thousand Philistines, each armed with freshly provided shields and spears and bows and swords from the Egyptians, a courtesy of his previous ally that had fallen in power. He was headed to the town of Enoth, as per the original message of Sisera, but when the rider showed up with more silver, he quickened his pace. The quiet, peaceful town of Enoth on the Kishon River was one of the few crossing points of the Kishon during times of flood stage. Despite the raging waters, it was a peaceful town. There was a few hundred odd buildings with the city center, and it was a crossroads town with roads from four directions and was known as a working man's town. And with a few thousand inhabitants and a peaceful feel, few knew that it was the focus of thousands of marching soldiers until a messenger from Deborah arrived, which petitioned the people of Enoch to escape to the south because of the closing in of the armies of Jabin and Sisera. Soon after, the quiet town was abandoned, with the exception of a few who stayed around to leave supplies and assist with Israel's retreat. But the warning failed to make it to all the inhabitants of Enoth, especially those outside of the town. Now the town of Enoth had the Kishon to its north, while an adjoining overflow provided another border to the town in the west, which was only filled with water during times of flood stage. So Enoth had water on its northern border with one bridge, which Sisera hoped to capture intact, and water on its western border, which had one bridge, which the Philistines were headed towards. And across the bridges was an empty pasture land on both sides, and across the western border and over the bridge was a simple man of the field who worked on his oxen. No one warned Shamgar, of the incoming armies of Jabin and Sisera, while no one was aware that Abahimelech was only miles away to the west. The only thing between Abahimelech and the town of Enoch was Shamgar and his twelve oxen. Deborah and Barak were speaking together as Israel was traveling south along the road to Enoch, even as Reports were coming in that Jabin and Sisera were closing in on the Israelites. Are you sure God said we will all escape? Deborah looked at Barak. You've been doubting God's word from the beginning. 
He never lies. He does things differently all of the time. This is where we need faith, but he never lies. Barak responded, Deborah, really, how can we all escape? Jabin is so close. Deborah stooped low to help a man who was stumbling due to his horrible leg wound. Once she was up, she responded to Barak, I do not know, but I will tell you this. If you keep doubting God, he will give the glory of our miraculous retreat to another. Give me your horse, she said. No, seriously, give me your horse. I will ride ahead to the town to make sure all is well. You organize the rear guard as we make our approaches. Barak relented, and Deborah rode ahead to the front of the desperate Israelites who were just crossing the Kishon River. She crossed the river and thanked God for its natural protection. She found the town to be nearly abandoned, just as planned with stores lining the road for them, water and bread, and a few others were left behind to help them. She rode around the town, accompanied by Garima, the mayor's daughter who assisted her with the provisions left for the retreating Israelites. Deborah was happy with their deliverance. She sensed they may just survive this retreat, and she was pleased. She rode around the town and to the western edge and the overflow of the Kishon River, but it was here that she felt a horrible sensation in her chest. She looked over the waters and saw a man working in his field, oblivious to, sur to the surroundings. She called for Garima. Who is that? Deborah said. That's Shamgar, Garima answered. Didn't you warn him to leave the town? I thought we did. Before she finished speaking, dread filled the atmosphere as soldiers, tens, hundreds, thousands of them, topped the ridge and walked into the plain and slowly walked toward Shamgar, who was helping his oxen cross the road, which led down to the bridge directly in front of Deborah. Deborah and those around her knew the fate of the Israelites if this army, which appeared out of nowhere, seized this bridge and took the town. Israel would be doomed. Deborah's face went pale as she stared at the Philistines emerging from the east. She stared at their army in horror, speechless and in shock at the doom that was befalling them. Shamgar, a humble herdsman, strong with huge shoulders, was herding his oxen with his ox goad, a long stick with a pointed tip at one end for arousing his animals into motion. Shamgar was a simple devout man who loved God and understood him from his years in the fields. He understood the land and pasturing of it, and this was where he met God in his town and in this very field. This was his secret place, his place of communion with God. Now with his twelve oxen crossing the road, six Philistines approached him, quickly dismounting from their horses. He witnessed the Philistines rushing toward him. He looked back to the town and recognized its abandonment and saw Deborah and Garima standing on the other side of the bridge. Deborah was as still as a ghost. Shamgar rushed his oxen as fast as he could across the road and approached the six Philistines coming at him, ox goad gripped strongly in his hand. Abimelech had sent six Philistines to muscle aside this one herdsman, hoping to not have to hurt him.
Get him out of the way, he shouted to his six men. Shamgar advanced towards the Philistine. What is your quarrel? The first Philistine said, We have no quarrel with you. As he quickly pushed Shamgar down, his ox goad falling to his side. Another Philistine put his arm over the head of one of his oxen. This one would provide a good sacrifice for our god Dagon. Dagon would surely grant us victory with this sacrifice. Another Philistine kicked Shamgar while he was down. The six men surrounded Shamgar. Shamgar struggled to get up. Harassed and bullied by these six Philistines, Shamgar was no match for them. And Israel, in its current state, was no match for Jabin and Sisera, and a new enemy, the Philistines. But when all seemed lost, what the enemies of Israel did not count on was the power of God at work in Deborah and the power of one righteous man possessed by God. Stay tuned next week as we conclude this story of Shamgar and the 600 Philistines. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.